hello, this is Guillermo del Toro, and you're listening to Out Now Podcast. Hello. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe has unfortunately been called away to work, but... Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I normally discuss new movies weekly. However, every now and then I like to have these special bonus episodes, and this is October. This is our second of uh, of five coming horror specials for the month of October, something that we always like to do around this time of year. This time of year being the month of October, of course. Last week we talked about haunted house movies, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, this week we have a really fun horror topic here that Abe actually thought of. It's so unfortunate that he's not here to join us for it. Uh, but we're going to be talking horror horror scenes that are in non horror movies. So so movies that are horror adjacent or at least have scenes that apply in that manner. Uh, which we'll get into that more as we go along here. But joining me to discuss horror scenes in non horror movies, we have from Why So Blue and the Cult Cinema Cavalcade podcast. It's Brandon Peters. Hello. Also joining us from the Saturday Evening Post and a comic writer, it's Troy Brownfield. Hello. Troy, good to have you on here for the first time. Thanks. Thanks for having me. For sure. Always glad to get new guests on the program, and certainly once for this time of year when we have a lot of horror talking to do. So uh, yeah, no, glad to bring you bring you as a, in, into the fold, as they'd say. And uh, yeah, Brandon, you're good. <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. Um, but yeah, so... Um, Let's see. No, not much in the way of announcements beforehand. I will. I'll say this. Last week we talked about haunted house movies, as I mentioned. I failed to mention the movie Haunt that like just came out that I just saw that certainly applies to that kind of uh, that topic. And just one I want to shout out again because that movie is quite good. But Haunt, it's out in the I think on VOD. It comes a on Shutter. About it, and uh, I'll just go like, <laughs> yeah, that's right, Aaron. And we can throw it back in the old episode. Yeah, I'll just re-edit yeah, it. Yeah, okay, I'll, put, yeah. I'll put it in the. I'll put it in the director's cut. <laughs> Of the no, horror special for like, Haunted House. Wow, great choice, Aaron. I, good thing you thought of that right now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, uh, what else? Uh, yeah, we're doing these horror specials all month. I did say that we're going to be doing a commentary track, as we do every month, but obviously we'll do something, doing something that fits into the horror genre for this one. Uh, this will come at the end of the month, but I will say now, just so people can prepare if they need to, we'll be talking Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, that'll be the commentary for this month of October, um, which is certainly going to be a lot of fun. Plenty to go over with that movie. Uh, but for now, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this week's topic, which is, again, horror scenes in non-horror movies. Let's just, let's dive into this. Let's uh, let's let's talk about like um, how this how this works, I guess, how we can how, how can we it's different from genres. where you can kind of define a genre. This is more along the lines of like something that just kind of appears in a movie. Let me ask you, Brandon, uh, with horror, obviously we've talked a lot about various horror genres and whatnot over the past several years here. Um, how do you find horror plays a role generally in movies that aren't defined as horror movies? It plays a big role. Um, a lot of your best directors start from horror, uh, like your cult, Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, uh, or they uh, were kind of fans themselves and uh, seep themselves in as like casting and things like that like i think it's got it, as much as a look down upon genre as it has been in the past and and still is to this day to a degree um i i recently saw a uh, person tweet at uh uh william Friedkin when he shared an article about something 
like Exorcist's great horror, greatest horror movie type article, and they responded with, "Oh, sir, don't say that. This is a mystical drama with horror elements added to it." <laughs> uh, but we're not gonna get that crazy here. But um, yeah, a lot of things but- borrowed. Like I, I was just telling Troy. Um, you know, prepping him for the show. And I said, you know, it's kind of funny, like, you know, people refuse to watch a horror movie, but, you know, rah, rah, Game of Thrones, which borrows gore stuff from, you know, horror movies heavily in their battle scenes and stuff like that, which you wouldn't have seen long ago. Right. I mean, you're not wrong as far as kind of how you would see things portrayed. There is obviously like a... There's a kind of frame of mind you're in, I guess, when you're watching specifically a horror movie versus watching a, a mystical supernatural series. <laughs> mystical, <laughs> mystical drama. A mystical drama like Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, but let me let me shoot to you, Troy. What uh, what kinds of movies do you think do this well as far as like kind of or are there movies that do this better than others as far as containing scenes that work in a horror capacity despite not being horror? Well, I think that, um, you know, it might be a little easier to introduce it into something that's not, you know, sustained reality to begin with. Um, you know, a good example I think of is David Lynch. Pretty much anything that Lynch does, it comes from kind of like a, a pulpy to noir kind of background usually to set it up. And then it branches off into surrealism and then frequently into horror. And you kind of the transition's a little bit easier with Lynch because it's kind of weird to start with. Um, but I can think of movies that are, you know, thriller kind of genres because that line is really sure. thin. You know, yeah. we all talk about Misery as a great horror movie, but, you know, it, it and the book and the, the film kind of tread that line very thinly. It's just a couple of degrees either way and it would be a very different kind of thing. And then, mm-hmm. You know, King kind of pushes you into outright horror and then pulls you back. <laughs> and Reiner did the same thing in the movie. Um, so sometimes those those things thread really easily. Um, one movie I did not put on my list to discuss, just uh, maybe because it might be too obscure, but there's a, a 70s cop film uh, based on Wamba's precinct books called Fuzz that Burt Reynolds was in. Hmm. And a lot of the movie is is kind of a cop comedy almost except there's a subplot about um this gang that's setting homeless people on fire and there's a scene where an undercover cop undercover as a homeless person is set on fire by the gang and it's terrifying and it's really um oddly juxtaposed with a lot of what's been like kind of cop comedy (laughs) up to that point so so when it happens it's hugely shocking but that movie's kind of um you know not as widely seen today but um that's one i was think of partially because king talked about it in his uh, dance macabre book he, he said you know in the 70s this scene almost ended television violence because <laughs> it freaked people out so badly but thinking about this as far as kind of how movies are going to apply this ones that are just keep saying it the ones that are not specifically defined as horror movies it's weird how much i tried to rub comedy up against this because i do think they operate in in a lot of the same ways we've talked about this before on the podcast in general but the idea of kind of both films require depending on what you're trying to achieve as an emotional reaction from the audience you have a build-up and a punchline and i i think there are there are a number i didn't 
I have some on my I I have a list of picks that I've chosen here and I have a lot of runner ups, but I do think there are a number of films you can think of that not necessarily comedic set pieces, but just movies, just scenes within more lighthearted features that rely on building you up to a certain point and then giving you that release. And sometimes, yes, it obviously works for comedy and horror, but you can, I think you can, you can play with that. You can, you can insert something that has a horrific kind of effect into a comedy. And even if it's played for laughs, there's still a kind of shock value that comes out of that, uh, which is interesting as far as like how you can, how cinema can play around with your emotions in that way and how you can, given how many people, given how people want to, to, are very, can be very stringent about how they define horror. It is neat to see how many films really rely on basically the same tricks. Um, you're just kind of putting a different card, sort of wrapper around it. Yeah. And, and there's also some things that can retroactively due to the, you know, the, I, I wouldn't perchance to know during the time what it was like to see certain movies and how you felt about their visual image, but something like, I want to, I feel like something like Metropolis, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> is scarier looking now than it possibly could have been to people going to a movie back then just because they're, they're makeup stylings uh, of the silent era. I mean, and not just, you know, Metropolis limited to, but other silent films, like the makeup tactics were different on people. Uh, the lighting uh, was early with the grainy film, which looks, you know, kind of uh, scarier naturally when that could have been just what a movie looked like to people back then. I think it goes that goes in the opposite as well, where something that just seems absolutely terrifying then is, you know, not now. I mean, you right, think, yeah, think of like exactly. the like the, we've talked a lot about the universal horror monster movies where those are characters that certainly had more of an effect back then, where now you don't necessarily look mm-hmm. at like the creature or Boris Korloff and as the mummy or any number of characters, um, and think, Wow, that's terrifying. You just think, Okay, that's that's this portrayal of this thing that I already know, um, which I guess comes from familiarity and I- iconicism, right? Where you're, you're getting mm-hmm. representations of something like Frankenstein's monster for the first time back in 1931, where today you're like, no, oh, that's Frankenstein. People say that incorrectly all the time, but no, I mean, still, like, it's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, I guess the 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 kind of the surprise value of seeing something like that for the first time, if you're not doing it in an entirely new way you're not going to get much of a shock value out of it. So I obviously I didn't put any like universal monster movies on this list because those are still horror movies, but I mean, you can, those are, those are, um, uh, dramatic character sub- studies with a supernatural edge. Yeah. I mean, so you could, inc- you could include them because they're, they're not horror movies to me. They're dramatic. I'm just I mean, saying. the invisible man's about just, <laughs> just about science. That's what that movie yeah. is. Like, most of them are about so, science. About One's about archeology. God, yeah. It's a science coming of age story. <laughs> exactly. Well, kind of kind of an aside, don't you find it interesting that of all the movies that were made in the 30s, that almost the only ones that we still talk about and discuss before Snow White and Gone with the Wind are the Universal Monster movies? Yeah. I mean, how many films it's it's all it's all horror movies. Movies from the late 20s and early 30s that we still talk about are essentially just all horror films. And even and Obscura's talks. Todd Browning's Freaks. Like that yeah. gets talked about more than a lot of yeah. There, I mean, it's it makes me think about now as a the the current debate about uh, Scorsese's quotes of daring to say that Marvel films aren't cinema. It makes me wonder, like, twenty years from now, we're going to be talking about 
I don't know, any number of dramas that won Best Picture, what have you. Are we going to talk, talk about Birdman and Boyhood versus talking about, you know, that time Iron Man did that thing in that movie? Um, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, speaking back to the 30s, yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, there's that kind of, there's that iconic value that comes with those characters versus... I don't know what Gunga Din. I mean, it's, yeah. um, that's yeah. that's probably the first '30s movie I can think of that's not Universal or Gunga Din. Um, uh, it's a great example because it was a, I mean, it was huge film and well regarded. I mean, that that's exactly. And now it can't even get a Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, and that's and it even has connections to Indiana Jones, and then it's yeah. still. It is it is an interesting point that you bring up though, Troy. Like it, you yeah, you can think of not just like the look of Frankenstein and what have you, Frankenstein's monster, or whatever, but like the lines, you know, and saying it's alive, or you know, any number of things that kind of spawn from, you know, the the kind of pop culture favorites of that era versus the more serious, anything in general. I mean, in, in Marx Brothers movies or what have you, they don't come up frequently in conversation or in just things you picture in the same way that you picture. The, right. horror, the horror movies or the the things that really stand out as far as on a visual level so yeah like uh, wizard of oz and gone with Wind obviously are going to stand out more. <laughs> like there's so many visual references you can make from those movies yeah it's a it's a universal monster movies and then the films of 1939 yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. let's come up first i'm trying to let's see i had some other questions before we kind of get into our list here um since we're talking about movies that are, you know, non horror movies, um, the idea of being scared by some of the scenes that we might be bringing up or just being scared in general in movies that aren't deemed horror. Are there, are there movies that you've seen when you're either, either younger or even recently that have like legit scared you despite not being like an actual horror movie? Oh yeah. Um, hell yeah. I, my family will tell you uh, wizard of Oz, you know, Margaret Hamilton, mm. man, she used to scare the hell out of me when I was really little. But I loved it, but it, and I did not include Wizard of Oz on the list because I felt like I'd actually included a couple of kids' movies. Um, you know, it's, it's sad, but also like when Bambi's mom gets killed, the whole uh, being chased by the hunter and then the forest fire and Bambi, I, those were very scary. But I was like three when I saw them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, you can't uh, get that, that later. Um you know, when when you have those things, it's like, oh man, that really scared me as a child. Yeah, I, uh, I, had, I was really scared by the Oompa Loompas. Um, so, yeah, I had the, uh, you know, the typical uh, never-ending story, the Atreyu scene, scared the hell out uh, of me. That's just uh, horrifying. It is. <laughs> and then uh, the entirety of Return to Oz. I won't bring it up during our. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Well, I won't bring it up during our picks. But my gosh. Since you said kids' movies, <laughs> I still am terrified of that one. Yeah, I it's mean, bad... you brought up Wizard of Oz, and yeah, my mom has made it very clear. She told me um, that I was very scared of um, the flying monkeys when I was young. Yeah, um, I, like I just couldn't handle that. Apparently, that was the area the area that frightened me. I'm also aware that Willow, which you know, that's just a mystical adventure movie. Um, the um, the 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 two headed monster, which is I believe named like Ebert Sisk after Siskel and Ebert, uh, that creature did scare me when I was much younger. And uh, the other one I can think of that uh, that final segment of Fantasia, uh, the Night on Ball Mountain, the kind of demon devil creature that's on the mountain there. I recall that being like quite frightening. Well, combined with the music, obviously, um, I recall that being just quite a frightening kind of image to take in. Just seeing 
you know, after seeing everything else going on in Fantasia, it's like it gets really dark at the end there. And you get this this you know figurehead on the on the top of a mountain doing things, and you got music coming at you as a as, you know at a young age. I can understand why I'd be frightened by that. Speaking of Disney, uh, the Ghost of Christmas Future in uh, the oh, Christmas yeah. Carol they used yeah. to show used to freak me out as a child. Oh, yeah, they'd show that on TV. Mm-hmm. I'd live for that thrill. I think you know suspense plays a big part into this. Uh, with a lot of things as well, um, you know, atmosphere is important. For sure. Um, but those are yeah, some of the commonalities because you know horror thrives on getting your heart racing with suspense and creeping you out, making you feel uncomfortable. A kid, I'll never, I never was me, but a lot of kids mentioned Superman three, where the woman becomes like uh, robotic um, in the end when she gets sucked into the supercomputer. Yeah. I I I know you know I'm on the internet. I know that that's a that common creep me out as a kid thing. I didn't happen to me, but I know it's a popular one. One that just came to mind um, is uh, Bill and Ted's bonus bogus 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 journey, where they go to hell for you know a little bit there. Oh yeah, yeah. And when they're kind of being tortured per se, um, specifically when is it Bill? No, is it? T- it's Ted. No, is it the one with the Easter Bunny? I think that's Bill's nightmare thing that's going on. Yeah, yeah. I think so and it's it's either, it's it's more like it's the result of that. You introduce that one and you introduce the like the like the the drill sergeant and they're both like running down this corridor that's shorter than they are, so they have to kind of crouch and run down it. And it's just like mm-hmm. the way that whole sequence is filmed, the lighting in there and everything. I remember that being like kind of frightening as a child watching Bogus Journey, and otherwise very tame movie <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and there was there was a growing up in the 80s and stuff there was a lot of uh, stuff like that with creepy just um you know like stop motion animation and puppetry that was just creepy uh back then i, I don't know what it was but that there's like a something they can do with that um kind of effect an uh, animation that just, i i don't know like doesn't give me that same feel that a cgi can do i mean cgi can be scary too but i'm just like something about those just i don't know maybe because they're more to the touch but um those kind of things even in regular stuff would kind of could be freaky when they're not even trying large marge large yeah large marge a lot of peewee's playhouse stuff's freaky if you think about it it's like the large large one did get me i remember that that said i seem to be pretty good on stop motion um I'm trying, like, I feel like I'm trying to think of all these examples of stop motion when I was like, like younger. the California raisins, some of their like little, <laughs> like they have like a special on legendary TV murderers. Called the California right, yeah. raisins. It just, I just think some of the like not attention to backgrounds and things just kind of creep me out. Like, cause it was the, you could tell the primary focus of getting the thing done was the raisins themselves, but it's kind of, there's like an emptiness, kind of a black emptiness to a lot of the sketches and things that would happen in their little, I think it was like a Christmas special, but kind of i think it's something about how closely i grew up watching like tim burton's movies like that's something that Mm -hmm. that me specifically me and my mom like we would watch whenever he had a new one coming out like in that run from like you know from peewee up the incredible run that that, yeah that really incredible run that went from peewee basically to sleepy hollow where Mm -hmm. we saw every one of those movies in theaters with the exception of ed wood uh, because i was young um i saw it later and i love ed wood it's great uh but like you know he isn't he obviously incorporates a lot of different kinds of effects but you think of like beetlejuice or 
mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not a Tim Burton movie, but The Nightmare Before Christmas, and uh, among others, that kind of have his style that applies to it, which obviously is very tact for that era was very tactile and had a lot of weirdness to it. But I was just felt like so into it. So it's something like, yeah, I, I was drawn to it, but it was mm-hmm. also a creepiness back, like you know, because with me, it's like, oh, I can't get enough. Like I, I want sure. those eerie feelings and stuff, and it was working so much. And that's why still to this day. Burton gets a pass, you know, he can keep making crap all he wants, but uh, I still adore the guy. And I was trying to think, what did we just see that was Burton? It's like, oh, yeah, it's Dumbo. Yeah, that was that Dumbo. Was coming, <laughs> off of, uh, coming off of what? Big Eyes, which is pretty good. And uh, There was uh, Mrs. Mrs. Peregrine's oh, I like, School for Peculiar I, I Children. I like that one. Yeah, it was fine. Uh, it was fine. But, yeah, Dumbo was a big disappointment. Yeah. Agreed. All right, well. Before we get into our list, I want to ask you, how did you make your list? Was there any kind of strategy you went for in putting together a number of picks that we're going to get to here? I can say that I I tried to avoid movies that are debatable as to whether they're horror movies or not, which I know they're, we can talk yeah. about that if they come up, but I, I really tried to hit movies that are decidedly not horror films that have scenes that kind of match the that the topic we're going for here, but that that's where that's where I went with it. Any any specific kind of requirements you went for? Well, this is a topic like I've thought about in the past, like off and on. And when you brought it, uh, you know, before the we were talking about it in September about these shows, I was like, oh, that's pr- yes, I want to do that because it's something I've thought about in the past. But I also try to like you know, like I could see someone going, well, what about Seven? I'm like, Seven to me is a horror movie. I'm sorry, like that's. <laughs> Flat out horror. Science of the Lambs is a horror movie. I'm sorry. Um, Jaws, Psycho, horror. Like, like, Jaws. I mean, these are movies Psycho. I very much tried, did not want to include. Giant monster movies, horror. Um, like they're a subgenre of of horror. But like I, yeah, I try. I kept away from that. I tried to. I tried to go with things where I felt, yeah, you know, certain ways. I tried to steer away from some obvious ones, but. It was fun. Uh, there were some directors I had multiple films for, but I'm going to try to keep it to one. I got plenty of honorable mentions. So, I, like yeah, one well, way or another, these scenes are going to make it out of the show. So. Awesome. We'll do that, yeah. Troy, any, uh, any ways you tried to come about with all these? Well, with, with all the uh, time I had leading up to the show, to uh, <laughs> Well, uh, I, I just went with it from kind of the same approach of um, if it's horror by branding then it's right out mm-hmm. and then i tried to um, look at some different things that i thought might be unusual picks and i also tried to anticipate like maybe what did brandon possibly pick and try not to duplicate it so um we'll <laughs> see how, how well i did then that's partially and, why i have so many uh honorable mentions just because i want to be i want to have have some really clean picks here so we can get through them all yeah all right so that's where i'm at Cool. Well, with that said, let's let's hear your first pick. What, what's uh what's the first one on your list? Okay. From and again, you know, your mileage may vary. It may not be the same for everybody. And, and this one is um one that is more of a pick in reaction to seeing it in the theater and watching other people. Uh, two scenes from Pulp Fiction. Hmm. And the first one is the needle scene, the adrenaline shot. Because as it works up to Uma Thurman catching the needle in the sternum, (laughs) (laughs) Um, when I saw the film in the theater, I just remember how tense the whole place got. 
Yeah. Uh, just as that needle came up and the, the, the close up with the drip coming off of it and then the slam and hurt that, you know, kind of like, uh, kind of like a big cat waking up from being tranked. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, uh, that, you know, man, did that freak people out? And I thought, you know, that's, that's a good example of a movie that is not a horror movie, but having a really horrific scene in it. And the other one is the gimp. Yes. Of and course. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, the, the best part of that, I'll, I'll never forget this. My roommate Sherman, who is an, from, from college, who's an awesomely twisted little dude, uh, hilarious. But we were seeing that. And when they started the whole conversation about the gimp, he just started laughing because I don't know if he just anticipated something was going to happen along those lines. But when they go get out the gimp, Sherman is in full on gales of laughter. People in the theater are kind of uncomfortably looking at him like, oh, my God, why is that guy find this so funny? Uh, but so many people were just so unsettled by that, by the whole image. It's like, what the hell kind of corner did the movie turn <laughs> at this point? And then, of course, the the extension of that, which you know, kind of turns into a deliverance scene. It, it kind of goes right on into horror um, for it's, a couple of minutes because it's like a descent into hell, essentially, where Bruce Willis and Ving Rains have like they don't know what they've gotten themselves into, but like just the escalation of like, okay, we're in this guy's shop, he's pointing a gun at us, now we're tied up, now they're opening a small box with a man inside of it like it's yeah. it really ramps itself up and then like the use of music in that sequence is wonderful where the yeah. and juxtaposed to the first scene you brought up which has no music it's so silent which just racks up that tension as well it's the kind of thing where people like to talk about tarantino as a writer so much but like pulp fiction has some excellent direction going on to really pull you into the moments that that matter I mean, there's a reason why the movie's so well-regarded. It's not just because everyone talks really cool. It's because of just how well-constructed it is as a piece of filmmaking. Yeah. That, that was the very first thing I thought of when this came up was, oh, needle scene Pulp Fiction. Yeah, like that, that, that tight shot on the needle where like you just get a slight drip of the adrenaline in it and everything, just as you build and build to Vincent slamming down like that. Also, yep. one, of the, one of the funniest lines of that movie for me is, when uh, Eric Stoltz is like, you got to you got to stab her here, and he like he like taps it. He's like, I got to stab her three <laughs> <Yeah>. times. <laughs> and and when, I love the kind of casualness with these. Like, and then what happens? I don't know. I'm pretty curious about myself. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, terrific. So Brandon, Brandon, what's your uh, what's your first pick? Okay, I'm gonna start with um, uh, a James Bond film. Uh, the Spy Who Loved Me uh, at the Pyramids when uh, James Bond first uh, sees Jaws and we first wow. see him. The way yeah. they the way they film that. Uh, it's in the dark and there's lights that slowly come up and on. He's got a metal mouth. He's almost like a, a, a slasher villain goon type, the way they portray him uh, going through the dark alleys and such. And we've seen him. Uh, we see him in an alleyway bite a guy and kill him. Uh, it's just very, they treat him like the thing I like about him in, in Spy Who Loved Me. Um, and I honestly don't think he's that bad in Moonraker, but he's not as effective because they really go for the jugular with the horror elements on Jaws in, uh, in Spy Who Loved Me. And just the way that they, they shoot him in this scene is just pretty terrifying. Mm -hmm. And then his attack, it makes his attack on them the next morning, even more effective when he rips that van, just 
with his bare hands to shreds. Or when he appears in the train car later on when they open it, and he's like a, he's like crouched oh, inside yeah, yeah, of the yep, closet. Yeah, it's like oh no, this scary guy is here. Like they use his size really, Richard mm-hmm. Keel's size really well in uh, in that film. I just talked about this on the the Lambcast not too long ago when we were talking about the Roger Moore era Bond films, and yeah, Jaws. That's something I I mean, Spy Love Me is as you know is one of my favorite Bond movies. Period. Um, and that, a big part of it's why, yeah, the use of Jaws as a henchman is so effective because it's not played for laughs in the same way it's played in some of Moonraker. He is still threatening in Moonraker. He's still, or, I mean, yeah. but once you, it cuts the tension when uh, <laughs> he's, I, I, when and he you falls know, in love. I, you know, yeah. I'm a Moonraker fan. Yes, but uh, when we both he are. Sees him and he goes, uh, his name's Jaws. He kills people. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. For the rest of the movie, but I mean, he's still got some effective moments. He's got some early just mm, bite your knuckle and just take it moments. But uh, it, he's <laughs> one of the the reason he's Jaws, and we know Jaws is Spy Who Loved Me. For sure, people that are tall can be scary. I'm gonna put that out there. <laughs> just something the way you could use size to intimidate someone makes sense, obviously, because it just it's using like a large frame person, but like. Well, he's got are, a huge head too. He does. He he like he looks big. Yeah. Like it's not just like it's not like a like a, like an Arnold where he, like they're built and they're kind of. T- it's something about like being obscenely tall. Like um, it mm-hmm. follows Games of the Mind where there's that one scene where like the thing like turns into a giant tall person. It's like this is scary. <laughs> this is a big tall person. Right. Like it's something that works really well. Um, but yeah, no Jaws. I'm glad we made we were able to mention Jaws in this without talking about the movie Jaws. It all worked out. <laughs> a sports movie uh, with horror elements. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, all my picks are in uh, chronological order, uh, so just to point that out there. Uh, but my first one is 2001: A Space Odyssey. All right. Yes, that was on my list. Yeah, um, it is also two scenes. Um, the and. There are probably even more. Um, <laughs> Kubrick in general, you put a lot in there. Uh, but the first one that I'm thinking of is the the sequence on the moon where they encounter the monolith. Um, mm-hmm. and it, bu- it builds up to the loud noise happening and you just kind of cut from there, which I think is just, you know, much like you mentioned, Troy, the, the, the needle scene. It's just an, an escalation and tension that really works and plays, yeah. plays well. And the second is um, when Hal kills Frank and attempts to kill um, uh, Dave. Um, it's all silent, and because it's Kubrick, it's definitely silent because there's no sound in space. Like he's really playing that up, and it's just the you are you already know something's going to happen just from Hal reading the lips of the character. You you come to understand that he's reading the lips of the characters that they plan to disable Hal at that point. And so once they're out in space, or once um, uh, Frank is out in space, uh, just the shot. Like, you know something's happening, and then it, like, cuts, and you see him just kind of float off. Like, he just floats off into the distance. And mm-hmm. that's terrifying, because space is terrifying, guys. I think movies have proven mm-hmm. this to us time and time again. Space is a terrible, terrible place that we don't want to go. Like, that's that's my main takeaway from watching I, movies. I think the argument can be made that 2001 A Space Odyssey is a horror movie. I thought um, about that. I, yeah. Yes, it is a overall one of the, if not the best science fiction film of all time, but it does so with such an emphasis on unfamiliarity, horror, the the unknown paranormal touch. Like even you could even said there in the scene at the beginning where the, the primate 
sees the monolith for the first time. That's uh-huh. horrifying. Uh, the end. Uh, Dave, seeing those rooms, are those are some of the most scary thing images I've ever seen. That clean white room. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's because of how cold and clinical it all is too. Yeah, like it, it doesn't try to make any. There's no. There's. I mean, the showiness is in the minimalism of those scenes. Like exactly. Yeah. Especially if you're watching it for the first time, you're like, all right, like I'm here. Like you can. You can. Yeah. I'm curious. I was curious how many people were like watching the first time. Like, oh, I get it. Space Zoo. Like, I, like, was, like who, who, like, pieced yeah. all this together the first time out? I was like, oh, yeah, I see. Okay. Oh, yeah, it's been a star child. He's coming back. I get it. Um, but, but yeah, no, the, there's a, there are a number of sequences here. And, yeah, I did think about, especially in my my quest to not choose horror movies, I'm like, well, 2001 kind of toes the line. But, I, don't, I mean, I don't, you don't see those debates at the, in the same way that you see them for like something like Psycho or Jaws, like as far as, is this a horror movie or is it not a horror movie? Um, it's got a lot of things going on. But I mean, yeah, the, the scenes in particular that I'm speaking of, they build a lot of suspense and they mm-hmm. they play in a way where it's exciting to, you know, see what the reveal of what's going to happen actually is. Uh, but it gives you that kind of, you know, that visceral, like, what's, what's going on here that, uh, plays around with uh, being I, a, like a horror sequence. I, I feel like the older I get, the scarier the film becomes, too. And yeah, that's just a, like an age, you know. It's For a sure. movie I recommend everyone watch at least once every five years because you're going to get something different out of it. Um, that's off topic from the horror stuff, but it just is that way. And right now, I just, I've just i seen it for like the last 10 years as more horrific than I ever did before. Rather than adventure or suspense, I've seen more horror to it. I can hear you in that one. Yeah. yeah. Well, so far we picked some of the greatest films ever made. Um, let's keep. Uh, <laughs> let's, keep let's keep. Yes, I put the spy love me in that category. Yes, <laughs> this, hell yeah, it is. Let's uh, let's let's keep going. Uh, Troy, what's your next pick? Um, well, this is one of the ones that skates the line because it's it's defined as a suspense thriller movie, and absent this one scene, you can probably keep it that way. But uh, I'm talking about Marathon Man. Oh yeah. Uh, ah, yeah, that was in my uh, honorables. Yeah, yeah, the the dental scene, for lack of a better title. Is it? Safe? I mean, yeah this this is a film that today is primarily known for one scene. <laughs> it's, you know, it was a it was a decent hit. You know, 1976. Um, you know, stars big stars. I mean, Dustin Hoffman, Lawrence Olivier, Roy Schneider. Um, but Lame. this is the thing. Yeah. Yeah, William Devane. This is the thing that people remember about it is is that scene because it it is tense and we are dealing with Nazis and you know the the whole yeah you know, all the all these suspense and thriller elements. But then you push that and I think that it goes right into abject horror and I think it works so well because people just don't like going to the dentist and, yeah. Oh, yeah. and it's just that the unease and just as everything about it the lighting the sound it's just you know really unnerving and if you cut that scene out then i don't think people remember this film hardly at all it's just another one of the many many suspense films that would have come out in the 70s yeah, but paranoia you know, espionage thriller yeah so i gotta go with that <laughs> it's i mean i like that film quite i like i saw it in college and i knew it mm-hmm. because i knew it because of that scene and I've only right. seen clips of that scene. So watching is like, well, first I'm like, oh, Dustin Hoffman and Roy Scheider? What? This movie's got to be great. Like, that was my main thought right there. Yeah. Um, then it's like, okay, Devane's popping up in here too. And then, yeah, obviously, Lord's Lee. I mean, 
it's just, it it is like a it is a solid thriller. But yeah, that sequence, I don't even I don't even mind the dentist, but it's like it's the body horror of it. Like it's just the, yeah. and it's not even like, as I recall, it's not crazy graphic in the detail. It's all it's mostly implication, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. I think you yeah, see like yeah. the results, but you don't like see drill the teeth necessarily. You get you see a lot of it's about to happen, <laughs> but it works really, really effectively. And, and even and in that movie, the thing I really remember following that scene is just Dustin Hoffman being like really tired and running after having dealt with all this stuff. And I'm thinking, well, this is Dustin Hoffman in the seventies. So he most certainly tired himself out just so he can do all this retired running <laughs> towards the end of the movie. Uh, but yeah, that that scene is, it sticks with you. you. You don't you don't forget that scene from the marathon man. That's for sure. That's right. Cool. All right, Brandon, what's your next pick? Uh, my next pick. Uh, I'm gonna go with the, uh, and and one of the ones I was like, oh yeah, I could. Uh, training day. Okay. Um, and I'm gonna go with the scene where Denzel Washington leaves Ethan or Ethan Hawke. Uh, at the Cliff little, place? Uh, yeah, Cliff Curtis's place, which is a scene that plays entirely like uh, the dinner scene at the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> yeah, in a different right. way. Yeah. And I was just scared for my life that Ethan Hawke was gonna get like get it. Uh, there, I mean, they're taunting him, and he doesn't know it, but you kind of know it, and you wonder like, are they? Is this some sort of setup? And then when they have him in the tub. Uh, with the shotgun to him, it's just, it's oh, scary, <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know how, but you kind of feel for him in that moment. Uh, there's also the weirdness of, you know, the unease of riding with Denzel all day and like when he takes the drugs and is in the car. But, um, but this moment in there just is very Texas Chainsaw Massacre-ish where you're, you know, essentially nailed to a chair and forced to just have to deal with this insanity going on of these ill-tempered people who don't have really any regard for a human life and could take yours in a second and find it funny. Um, there's just, yeah, I was, I remember just being terrified uh, the first time I saw that movie um, during these moments. That's just, a good pick. Yeah. And I'm not even the biggest, I'm not even the biggest Fuqua fan, but I did enjoy that movie, and that that scene has stuck out. Fuqua's a he's a reliable B movie maker. Yeah, he is. He is. He can have some fun. I don't. I'm not against Fuqua, yeah. but um, I mean, I, I I really hate the Equalizer movies, but yes. Oh yeah, you and I both. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah that that's probably his best. I'm trying to think. Is that his best movie? Probably. Because he did what King Arthur after that. Oh, that's his best movie. <laughs> okay, um, let's see. Um, he did the. What did he do with the the has fallen movies? He, he, he began. He began the has fallen. Oh, okay, franchise. that's what he. That's what he. That's what it says on his his his, uh, his CV these days. Be, the beginner of the has fallen franchise. Oh, he did. We did the oh. Magnificent Seven. Yeah, that's the one I had forgotten he had done. It was the Magnificent I like Seven. Bait. Jamie Foxx. Bait. Oh yeah, I remember Bait. I like yeah. Bait. That's a fun TBS movie. It's like if that's on, I'll be like, oh yeah, sure. Bates yeah. on. Shooter. Forgot about. Oh, okay, he was the man behind Shooter. He's doing another movie of Wahlberg right now. Um, oh. I forget what it's called, but I I know it because oh. Jason, Jason Manzuka has talked about it on Comedy Bang Bang. He's like, yeah, I'm doing a movie of Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Replacement Killers. I like that one. Oh yeah, there you go. There we go. All right. 
Way to go, Bob. His John Woo knockoff. I like like Dude. three of your movies. Everybody in '98 to 2001 had a John Woo knockoff. Like that. Mm-hmm. That's what was going on. <laughs> like we got Chow Yun Fat to America. Now use him. Yeah. Put two guns in his hands. Uh, this has been Fuqua chat. Let's move on. Let's. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my next pick here is um, it's from Blood Simple. Oh, that was on my list, Aaron. Oh, well, I'm curious what uh, scene you had because there's there's actually like several, mainly because this most? movie really walks the line. I think uh, I didn't try to do it that way, but I was like, I want to get a Coen Brothers movie in here, and I just I couldn't resist um, taking Blood Simple. Uh, once the there's two scenes that come to mind. Uh, first is uh, Dan Hedaya. Um, being dead but not <laughs> I guess is the best way I can put it there's mm-hmm. a whole sequence where his character is being taken out of the story but he doesn't uh-huh. quite go down right away <laughs> I guess I'm trying not to spoil Blood Simple too much but there, there there's some there's some very Coen Brothers style shenanigans going on of trying to keep him from not being around anymore um, and even then certain characters don't believe that he's gone um, which makes it this weird like not a zombie thing but there's certainly like a an unease about who's actually going after who in this story which leads me to the other scene that i really like that plays as a horror film it's the basically the entire climax which has mm at walsh's character against uh, francis mcdormand um which becomes sort of a cat and mouse game but there's a lot of horror elements in their encounters within an apartment Particularly a sequence where a man has to stick his hand through a wall and then things happen from there. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, there, there's a lot. I Blood Simple is fat is like really one of the best like directorial debuts ever. It's it feels so, like, like the 15th film from like one of the best directors you've ever seen. Yeah, it's so perfect <laughs> in its construction. It's and it's Francis McDormand's first movie role ever. It's just it's so great. It's great for so many reasons, but in addition to being this kind of neo-noir, it has a lot of horror imagery within it. There's a whole sequence where, um, oh, I never forget it. What's the lead actor's name? I never remember his name. Um, oh, nobody remembers him. Uh, <laughs> the one person that's not Dan Hedaya, M. Emmett Walsh, or Francis Bittorrent. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, oh, that's going to bug me. Uh, Getz. Getz. John Getz. Oh, um, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a whole sequence where he has to, like, clean up blood and it's like the messiest sequence you can imagine of him trying to do this. Mm-hmm. It's like everything gets bloody. Um, and as I recall, the Coens were like, we wanted to make it like Psycho, but instead of instead of how Norman cleans up the blood very easily, we wanted to make this just incredibly difficult for him to do. And so it's just like this nasty sequence of blood getting cleaned up from the floors. Um, but yeah, no, Blood Simple. It's got a it's got a few scenes in there, but yeah, the what I was thinking of is involving Dan Hedaya and yeah, and M. Emmett Walsh and his hand uh Brandon, did you have something in mind as far as or who's Troy? did you say who said, who oh, said I, I had well i had blood simple on my list uh-huh. um i had a different coen brothers but I, okay. yeah well, I, ha- I have another yeah i have another coen brothers on mine, so we'll see <laughs> did you have a scene in mind talk about, should we just talk about the other coen brothers film that we have on our list since we're on the Coen brothers yeah sure i did bring them up again because i put no country for old men on there yeah i had that uh, too. Uh, I had that, that in my own mentions, yeah. Troy, you yeah. had it also? What yeah. What scene? Uh I had primarily the uh the hotel scene yeah. where yeah. we don't see Anton, 
but yeah. except for his flashes of his gun, that's silent and just it's one of the most thrilling things I've seen in a theater ever. Yes, and he, 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 he himself is just a haunting goon. Yeah, and he's a universal horror monster. Like that's what he is. <laughs> I am I am up and down like fascinated with that movie. I watch it every chance I get. Like I was of, of films in the last what was this? I'll have to say 15 years. This is one I was most taken with um, of any because I just uh, I couldn't believe I I was just sucked into that movie. And that scene in particular was like my favorite. The sound design is incredible in that movie, in that sequence. of Because you can you can hear when that sequence starts because you can hear him shoot like the hospital or the hospital, the hotel clerk Mm -hmm. like downstairs if you're paying attention. So like you already know what's happening before Llewellyn knows it's happening. And then he gets up the stairs and like the lights are going out and you hear the footsteps, like just everything about that sequence is so tense and it doesn't let up. (laughs) They take it to the streets, like everything about it's great. You could, you could include any of the vent sequences as well, where he's hiding stuff in the vent at the motel as well. Mm -hmm. Those play pretty good too. Trying to keep something a secret and suspenseful. It's just, oh, that movie's just an, uh, it's amazing. Troy, what are you going to say? Oh, I, 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 got nothing to add he covered it all there's just so much i mean it basically every anti-gara scene is just something crazy um the coin toss you know the scene in the hotel just it it just keeps going um it's just implacable (laughs) it it does play like a horror movie i mean to be fair you know cormac mccarthy um that the road blood meridian he's got a lot of stuff that could be very easily considered horror and, and yeah. but, you know it's it's not it plays more like the straight thriller but then man that just leans Coen brothers lean so hard <laughs> yeah, it's funny like noir really leans on horror tropes quite a bit as well like we're, we're as we're talking about those I, I think that comes because from the uh the german expressionism factor where you have a lot of you know use of shadow and obscure angles and what have you to play up a kind of a mood um, so, you know, you rub up against the horror genre in that manner, which makes a lot of sense. That's why you get, I don't know, Fritz Lang, who can <laughs> kind of go back, back between both. And, of course, mystical dramas like Metropolis. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Where so are we're we? on Troy's pick. Yeah, Troy, what's your, what's your next pick? Okay. Um, we are going to go with the boat scene from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. There we go. Oh, yeah. And it's funny to me that it is, you know, in in the time before memes, children, um, you know, that that's one of those things that it has kind of grown further um, as something that people acknowledge it is that they were scared by it as a kid. But people when I was younger, you know, people didn't really talk about it. And then when you talked about that, it's like, I really don't like the boat part. and it comes in and and i find it tremendously funny now that you know it was parodied in thor ragnarok so so kind of brilliantly with the scene of the the, they're playing you know the music in the background is Mm -hmm. as thor's getting the introduction to sakar and then they cut to him just sitting in the chair screaming um which you know it goes back to what you're saying in the beginning about that kind of humor to to horror um build up but i think one of the things that is great about the boat scene itself is that um it's telling you no you might not be safe 
you think this is all going to be candy and and fun stuff and you know getting your fabulous reward but no you're you're authentically not safe here (laughs) (laughs) and and just some of the imagery on the walls and so forth is just really uh done in a really disturbing way and i mean i really appreciate it in a different way now i mean as a kid i found it pretty scary and now i just find it just so kind of inventive and subversive that they would even entertain the notion of putting that in a kid's film much less pulling it off i mean could you imagine them doing the same thing right now probably not in the same way no not but, often and if it is it's it's like it's pg-13 and it kind of enters a whole different stratosphere um Leica may maybe coming the closest with like Coraline. that's like the best i could think uh, of as far as doing something that's out and out like horror without like re really trying to like play down that fact or what have you for a younger mm-hmm. audience I think I was just at like the right age when I watched Willy Wonka where I've never like, I can, I can understand why that scene would seem like, you know, un, unsettling, but like, I just remember being like, well, that was loud. Like that was my main reaction to that sequence. Like it never really hit me in a way. I was like, Oh, this movie got creep. I'm just more like, Oh, they're out of that nonsense. That was pretty loud. Let me, let's move on back to the, 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 the candy stuff. I don't know why. Maybe I just like didn't see it the right way or something to kind of have that embedded in the back of my mind. I was like, oh yeah, okay, Gene Wilder. I'm not saying that. I'm like, whatever, AJ. But I mean, thinking, oh, that was a scene. Um, but it, I mean, yes, obviously it does resonate with a lot of people. And yeah, watching when you watch it any time now, you're like, yeah, this scene is pretty intense for a movie that was, you know, so far, uh, you know, pretty enjoyable comedy <laughs> focused on like this poor kid and his grandparents. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's you know, it was on my honorable mentions. It certainly makes plenty of sense um, for a movie that has you know nothing to do with horror until it's like, by the way, yeah. <laughs> this guy's insane and he has a chocolate factory full of little people that he has can't cart you know victims around when needed. Um, Brandon, what's your uh, what's your next pick? Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, the next one, but our uh, the listeners, it's called uh, The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> <laughs> Comes in from 1980 from Irvin Kirshner, who was a known professor at uh, USC. Uh, would later do uh, another classic sequel, RoboCop 2. Uh, but uh, no, uh, so Empire Strikes Back, man. This is full of, I mean, it's, it, the movie's meant to be the downer middle chapter. But I mean, look at, it's not just one sequence. You've got like Dagobah itself is a haunting ass place. Uh, as a kid watching it, very kind of, very scary. I think that's what drew me um, when I was younger more to this film than any of the others. It's just the horror elements. Cloud City is like we were talking about with the end of 2001, that kind of uh, white, sort of shallow, empty kind of feeling. Uh, the scene I used to scare the piss out of me when Han Solo, Lando took him to dinner. Uh, they're, they're joking now, we would be honored if you would join us. But that was terrifying to me, seeing our heroes like, oh, you're st- duck and it's the most scary man in the galaxy across a dinner table looking normal like oh come on in there that is was something about yeah scary. like thinking about yeah. the set design for that because like you mentioned it is very clean and you know pristine mm-hmm. like like the 2001 end sequence so yeah having you know the, the biggest baddest man in the galaxy in all black and his cape stand up be like guess what <laughs> guess who's here like yeah. I, I get i get that yeah yeah we'd never seen him sitting at a table before that um and yeah, that that sort of emptiness follow. I mean, it's a 70s thing. I mean, Logan's Run has it. Conquest for the Planet of the Apes has it. 
to just kind of how they saw like futuristic things back then. But now looking back to me, it look, looks scary. Uh, the um, well, yeah, and you're also being like, what are they gonna eat? Yeah, well, yeah. What's he gonna? Feed? <laughs> He's gonna feed them poison. Uh, Hansel <laughs> gets tortured after that, and the the, the carbonite thing's scary. Uh, back before that, when they're on the the asteroid inside the cave, the Minoc is one of the best jump scares in film history. That is a good jump. You're right. That is and they're cool. gross, like the little suction. Yeah. Bullshit. Um, As you know, Space Worm is one of my favorite things in Star Wars. Yeah, that's your favorite. So. Yeah, that's your favorite thing. <laughs> um, and if you ask me what's my favorite scene in Star Wars, like Space Worm. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the creepy slow mo Luke Vader fight in the cave. The Luke Vader fight itself is terrifying because Luke's alone. It's these windy hallway. The sound design, Ben Burt, genius. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's all there. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty terrifying movie. It's really effective. It's one of those, I think. Uh, people get drawn to that were fans early on with it um liked it because of that dark like dare almost dare to watch it aspect because you've never seen a movie with took your hero not so much not that you never had but your heroes going in that direction just failing and i mean i think it was i I really don't think empire became the de facto favorite star wars movie truly till like the 90s is when it seemed to become that but um Growing up, it was always about Star Wars or Jedi, and then Empire was the outlier, and then the outlier became, oh, the best one. Um, but yeah, it's got all these like dark horror elements. I mean, I'm sure there's stuff on Hoth that can be looked at as scary. But do, do, do you, yeah, do, do you look forward to a majority of people being like, yeah, Rise of Skywalker? No, Force Force Awakens. And then 20 years from now, everyone's gonna be like, you know what? The Last Jedi is actually the best one. And it's gonna we, happen, and we were it's dumb for happen. doubting this at the time. Right? No, yeah, it's gonna happen. Like. Yeah, I think part of the reason that Empire, the love for Empire is the comfort of knowing that Return of the Jedi comes after for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. When I was younger, yeah. Return of the Jedi was my jam. I was like, hmm? they're on speeder bikes and all kinds of stuff. Like, yeah, I'm all about this. But yeah, Those I mean, bears are awesome. I, I mean, I still like Ewoks. Like, I've never had a problem with Ewoks. I was confused. Until, when the, I until the Internet, I never knew people hated Ewoks. Exact, exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I've got a little Han Solo note on here that it's it's kind of funny because I I love the 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 uh, dining room scene, um, but you know the the whole thing of course after Lucas did the re-releases about Han shooting first. One of the things I really love about the table as soon as the doors open and Vader is there, Han's blaster is in his hand and he's trying to kill Vader. Yeah, he fires. I mean, yeah. yeah, he shoots at him. Yeah, he he's he's gets a shot off, and that to me is just that is Han Solo, you know, the any of the debate about what happened with Greedo and so forth. That's that's completely mitigated by the fact that that scene still exists and <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's uncut form. Um, well, if you, you know. count Solo, uh, it sandwiches his little uh, mishap in yeah. the re-edit. Yeah, he to... he's not afraid to shoot in solo at that, you know, the big moment towards the end. And then, yeah. yeah. But also, what's Vader's outfit made out of? Because why aren't all the other stormtroopers wearing that? Because Vader just like blocks a blaster bolt with his hand. It's like, it was a on. force block. <laughs> it was one of those force blocks with his with his robot hand. It yeah, was the, it was it was the FB yeah. with his robot hand. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. All right, um, where's my list? What's my next scene here? My next scene is oh, this is a good one. This one scared me when I was younger. It is from Terminator 2. Oh. Um, it is the sequence where Sarah Connor is dreaming 
or having a nightmare rather oh, and yeah. um, sees herself with young john and then she sees a nuclear blast go off in la and then she gets melted into a skeleton that scene is oh, terrifying yeah. <laughs> like i know we, we've talked about well we've talked about both movies plenty because we've done commentaries for both movies of the first terminators um brandon you've mentioned many times that you prefer the first terminator and we've talked about how the first terminator really functions as basically a stock a slasher movie that happens to involve sci-fi mm-hmm. um this movie isn't really it's you know it's a it's a glorified remake of the first to an extent but it's a chase action movie uh with you know sci-fi elements and mysticism i assume um but the, um, <laughs> that whole nuclear dream sequence that scared me i would I, I literally i like i had a fear of nuclear bombs when i was young because of this movie <laughs> like i was i if i hear loud noises in the sky with like airplanes be like oh no is a nuclear bomb gonna happen like that'd be my thought process some Both kids because... had quicksand air new earth had nuclear bombs exactly yeah exactly <laughs> um <laughs> But that that whole scene, it's it, so it. I think it's because Cameron is such a bastard about like how much detail he wants to put into these sequences where he has like well like that scene with like the shot of the and it's all miniatures that shot of like the bus yeah. gets turned over and like it get the side gets ripped off of it. You see people inside of the bus. You see like the the park get you know engulfed in flames. And then obviously Sarah Connor grabbing at this chain fence and like being blasted in the face with nuclear blast and like her skin comes off and it turns to a skin. It's like, Oh my God, <laughs> this is, this is terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, I'm, I, I grew up watching Terminator 2. The rest of that movie I am fine with T-1000 stabbing Xander Berkeley in the face. Cool. Whatever. T- <laughs> T-800 ripping off his arm to show Miles Dyson, his robot hand. And they're like, Oh my God, that's crazy. I'm like, yeah, that, he has a robot arm. That's what it, that's what's going on. But you know, she'll be a nuclear bomb going off. And I'm like, this is insane. Like this, this got to me. So, yeah, Terminator Two, I did it. Solid uh, choice. <laughs> um, Troy, what's your uh, what's your next pick? Okay, yeah, Brandon will be happy because I'm getting into the uh, '80s sword and sorcery genre here. Um, which I have to admit, if you look at all of these films, there there are uh, probably at least one good solid horror scene in each one of them um, from, you know, Conan the barbarian to Beastmaster and so forth. But I'm going with dragon slayer uh-huh. with the dragon babies scene. So if you guys don't know it, <laughs> it's been a minute. I, I, I have an idea of what you're talking about, but it's been a minute since I've seen dragon slayer with uh, Peter. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's a film from 1981. Um, there's the, the sequence where the princess has caught on to the fact that her dad has rigged the lottery. And that all of these girls are being sent down as sacrifices to the dragon. And she rigs the lottery herself, so she'll be sent down. And so Peter McNichols getting his spear and his his shield and so forth to go fight the dragon. And he goes descends into the tunnels looking for it, and he finds the princess who is being consumed by the baby dragons. And it is freaking great. It is if people are not because there's nothing in the in the film leading up to that to really prepare you for it. <laughs> and you've got these great dragon designs and 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 it's they're they're wet for lack of a better word i mean it's it's squishy it's gross and you know like this beautiful princess type is you know they're the dragons are eating her (laughs) and and you just didn't expect that that was going to happen incidentally again this film was distributed by disney um so it's a PG movie. It is not something you expect. And I, you know, and I, I found it like a great shock at the time. I liked it. Uh, but 
you know, people who see that film, um, you know, you ask them right afterwards, they'll be like, damn, I did not expect the baby dragons to be eating the princess. It's just, to me, it's a, it's a good one. All right. And, and you know, like I said, I, I don't know. That weirdly, like Hawk the Slayer and Dragon, Dragon Slayer precede a lot of the movies that we talk about in that group like Beastmaster and Sword of the Sorcerer and everything, but every single one of those movies has at least one horror moment that mm-hmm. stands out. Well, they deal with like witches and sorcerers a lot of the time too, which are kind yeah. of a horror thing. I was going to say, um, speaking of Peter McNichol, I didn't include the Ghostbusters films because those are horror comedies, um, but Peter McNichol is quite scary in Ghostbusters too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that scene with the baby to the, the baby carriage the to the carriage. window. Woo! him just having glow eyes in that yeah. one scene like right yeah he's doing some stuff but yeah i haven't <laughs> seen dragon slayer in forever so <laughs> like i have a vague remember recall of like what the scene you're talking about but it's just been too long since i've seen dragon slayer in full but uh has the has the emperor in that movie too if i uh ian, ian mcdermott yeah. of Star Wars. yes yeah. uh brandon what's your next pick uh my next pick um I had three from this director, but I'm going to kind of go with the uh, theme that I kind of had with the same feeling from when I picked Training Day. But I have um, Martin Scorsese's King of Comedy. Yeah, King of Comedy, primarily the scenes where they have Jerry Lewis hold up and he sits having the conversations with Sandra Bernhard. And you just just the nature of her character and knowing with her Rupert Pumpkin you don't know what's going to happen. Like Jerry, you're like, are they going to accidentally kill this guy? Is he trying to get them? It feels of the nature of like something weird conversation. You'd find like the Firefly family in a Rob Zombie movie having with somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's just the discomforting, like it's it's not, they're having these conversations. It's fascinating, but it's not comforting. It's it's like Jerry Lewis was doing his best for his dear life to talk himself out of it to convince, you know, Sandra Bernhardt that like, you know, she should let him go, but you don't know if she's like gonna accidentally kill him because she realizes what she's what he's doing at some point. It's just it's a really just uneasy, ugly, just discomforting watch which horror can be a lot of the times, and that's kind of what King of Comedy brings for me on that. Yeah, I agree. To, to me, I mean, I haven't seen that movie in, in years. I know everybody's talking about it now because of Joker, but um, that is the standout scene when I think about it. That's the thing I remember. I uh, I just watched it last night because I was like, I was I really wanted to watch it again because after watching Joker, by the way, <laughs> like, and I'm a huge fan of King of Comedy already, but like watching it a week after seeing Joker, I'm like, this movie is so much better <laughs> than what Joker like. And I like Joker. I, I think it's fine, but it's like, this movie's like it's night and day, like how much effort and like what's going on in this world and how Scorsese shoots a film versus Todd Phillips. It's like this is so and it's PG. This is such an intense PG movie and so <laughs> and, and it's a, such a mix of like tension and cringe comedy. Like it's just so like you just feeling for this, this the empathy you get watching these scenes play out and seeing these characters interacting with each other is just so it's so hard to watch at times uh, just because of what De Niro is like putting into this role uh, versus everyone around him and Sandra Bernhardt she's so annoying in this movie, but so effective uh-huh. <laughs> and Jerry Lewis to his credit he's great and he's like really funny by underplaying the role 
he's doing so little to kind of make make what needs to happen happen with his character versus De Niro's character. But yeah, watching the, the that ramp up tension at the end with him being captive, it's uh you're not yeah, that's a that's a good pick for sure. Yeah, and I would have picked it last year or the year before too, no you know it's timely now with Joker, but I've always felt that way about that. And I'm sure anyone else who's seen it, the 12 of us or whatever, the cool film Twitter people, I guess. <laughs> God, I have a few scenes. We got, we got like, what, three more? Two more? Two more. Uh, Do we have two more? This is a, was this pick four or what? That was, that was pick four for you. Okay, yeah. So okay. I, I have two more. Um but I'm going with this one. Yeah, it's the it's from Train Spotting. Hmm. It's, oh yeah. It's the sequence where um, Ewan McGregor is he's basically detoxing, and oh, he sees yeah. the baby climb up on, on the ceiling, and then its entire head turns around. It is nightmare imagery. <laughs> it's, yeah. It, it's yep. terrifying in a in a film that's you know a drug mystical comedy drama um it, that, that, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> i'm glad you brought up that exorcist thing because that's my favorite running joke now. <laughs> mystical drama, mystical drama. drama with supernatural elements <laughs> oh boy uh, that person has a horror collection that has like one movie in it and these the rest are <laughs> all horror movies but fall into different genres on his shelf um no train spotting has that that whole like it's scary. Like, there's no other way around that. Like, it's just like, and, and it's right that Ewan McGregor like is waking up screaming as his parents try to hold him down because yeah, it's it's terrifying to watch this, and just the way Danny Boyle filmed. Like, there's a lot of really innovative work being camera work being done to kind of make that film come alive, and that's one of those sequences where it's so like kinetic, and you're watching this thing happen, and I I can you know I can pick it apart as far as how he makes that work. But between the camera tricks he's using and the damn puppet for that baby, it's just it's scary. Mm-hmm. It's a scary scene, and that and it turns yeah. its entire head around. Speaking of The Exorcist, it turns its whole head around. It's like, oh my god, I can't like I I talking about it now. I know exactly what that looks like, and it's still haunting. So yeah, that's that's the pick I have. Yeah, I, I think another thing in there that that gets me is that kind of shot of uh, it's Kelly McDonald. Uh, sitting on the bed singing uh, Temptation by New Order. Yeah. Because the songs are already played in the film, but when she's just like, oh, you've got blue eyes. Oh, like that just adds another level to me. <laughs> like, kind of freaking me out a little bit on top of everything else that's going on. It's it's so incredibly well done. Well, Troy, what's your next pick? I am going to go with the ending sequence of The Black Hole. Okay. Oh. Um, these Disney movies coming here. Yeah, it wasn't intentional, but yeah. <laughs> okay, so Black Hole is a weird ass movie anyway, which um, I don't know if you guys have ever talked about it formally on the show, but you know, um, it's one of those science fiction movies made in the wake of Star Wars, and it's really dark. Um, but then it gets super dark when they go in the black hole, and you're basically seeing a panorama of hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and that whole. Like a Kubrick like almost acid trip of you have Reinhardt and you know, just everything um you know, has takes on this whole reddish cast and you see him merging with the robot and everything and it is it looks like these old Renaissance and plague era paintings of what hell is supposed to look like. <laughs> and, 
you know, that's not what you're expecting in the space adventure. You know, and it's got other definite moments, like when uh, Anthony Perkins pulls the mask off of the humanoid and it turns out it's the slack dead face of a corpse. And then he gets drilled to death by Maximilian just a minute after that. And, you know, it, it's it's a weird movie um, that you go in expecting this kind of sci fi adventure in the manner of of Star Wars with the robots and everything. And then you get these really profound moments of scary stuff that punctuate it. Yeah, for sure. I, 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 it's been a minute again since I've seen black, <laughs> black hole, but I, I do know the kind of imagery you're talking about. Cause I have some recall of that film, which I, is it on Blu-ray Brandon? Have they put that the in? The black hole is a Disney movies club, Blu-ray exclusive. So you that, have to be, mm-hmm. In their little subscription service, which is uh, where Return to Oz came out on Blu-ray, and like Twenty Thousand as... Leagues Under the Sea is on there. Yep, right? yeah. mm-hmm. that's one that I've been. I keep like, why can't I find this? I know it exists, and it's like that's why because it's in some Disney club. <laughs> you can find it. them yeah. on. You can find them on eBay. They're usually about ten bucks more than what you'd pay for in the club. So I'll just wait. Yeah, till Black Hole had a Disney. weird. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. No, no, keep going. <laughs> I was going to say, Black Hole had a weird release history because it, it was out in the uh, famous Disney White clamshells on VHS, and then it went away, and then it was an Anchor Bay release yeah, yeah, yeah. at that point. And then, yeah, so it's it's had a strange history. <laughs> it's like they, they don't want people to see it. I don't know. It's just very bizarre as to how it's been treated over time. Is it on the Disney Plus list? Probably. Um I don't know. It probably. I, I just, I'd imagine if if it's in their Disney Club thing, I, I imagine they're probably because I know Twenty Thousand Leagues is because I checked for that. Okay, <laughs> so. I think I think didn't Twenty Thousand Leagues and Black Hole? I think they came out like the same month or real close together recently on Blu-ray. on that on that Blu-ray thing. Yeah, I yeah. think I remember hearing that. Um, Brandon, what's your next pick? All right, uh, I'm gonna bookend your first pick with Solaris. Nice. Karkowski, that is one of the most haunting movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, it's you know three hours in a empty-ish space station with a ghost wife. Well, it's not like really a ghost wife. It's a extraterrestrial interpretation. Uh, that was the original title, though. Ghost wife. Yeah, ghost wife. Tartakovsky's um, ghost wife. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just it's a movie that you can never link up with because you just don't understand it doesn't it's one thing i like uh like i mentioned in last one's haunted house when i talk about the beyond with lucio fulci is like a a big problem with us as humans making movies and dealing with other dimensions uh other areas in space extraterrestrials is we always seem to think that everything supernatural has to play by some form of human earth rules and i think uh solaris gets that very right that it doesn't have to and you can't Mm -hmm. predict and it just it it has its own agenda and does its own thing that it bugs you because you can't find a linear a to b for it um it's annoying that we're worse at that now as far as seeing films coming out Uh, right because like Mm -hmm. somehow like the the decades of seeing these sci-fi films hasn't like made us better at coming up with new ideas for them for <laughs> like right. how to how to play with structure it's so rare that you get that like annihilation comes close mm-hmm. as far as like what is this i don't know but i like it like it, that's that's a yeah. that's a mainstream one i can think of that really well, kind of 
goes and you got to tell people through dialogue not camera visuals and stuff like that which bugs the hell out of me yeah like but, we have all the world all the things in the world we can do with effects these days but we still can't be like why why not have exposition in this sequence i mean it's like all right yeah and and people call it bad because they are plot holes and all that because they didn't they missed something it's like or they weren't able to put it together oh uh, yeah in, in the movies that are designed to be even easier to understand than solaris right. <laughs> like i always you know films a visual medi- medium it's an experience it's a ride and everybody focuses too much on being told it and sticking the landing whereas if a movie's got a fun ride and the landing's okay, it was awesome. Because, like, I enjoy going on the ride. You know, maybe the it stopped short of where I thought the ride was, but dang, those those hoops I went through before were thrilling. Under under the skin's another one where it's like, all right. <laughs> it went yeah. yeah. But Solaris, I mean, it's just, I, it's one I, I'll I try to find time. It's a long movie. Yeah. Um, And yeah. I don't like, to, you know, it's one I want to just lose myself in. So you got to find the right, you know, time, which is usually uh, late at night once the kids are going to bed to yeah. uh, or everybody leave the house. It's Solaris Day. Um, <laughs> but it's such a visual treat. It's disturbing. It's haunting. Um, it was supposed to be the emotional because, you know, 2001 was like, considered by Tchaikovsky to be a bit cold. Um, and it was supposed to be 2001 uh, from an emotional aspect, and I still I think it still leaves cold. Uh, it might be because right. I'm not Russian, and I can't. Uh, yeah, that's the main uh, thing. Is <laughs> the he's, main thing. He's emotional film. Yes, I I do like that. Tartagazzi is like, Where, where's heart, Kubrick? I'll give you heart. Yes, Apparently, it's yeah. Transylvania, and I do Tartagazzi. <laughs> 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 that, that floating library sequence is wicked. I, I just the design of the space station. Once again, that empty white, and it's just these tunnels mm-hmm. with wires hanging. And you came. It's 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 that same feeling in Aliens when you go to for the theatrical cut when you go to LV four twenty six and you're like, what happened here? Uh-huh. And that's what makes it. That's why I always prefer the theatrical cut of Aliens because I like the. Oh crap! What, and let my yeah. let my mind kind of try to wander and figure out what was this before. That's scary to me. I understand people like seeing as much backstory as possible. I I guess, um, but I just, yeah, I just like that turret gun sequence. That's the main thing I like about the aliens. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> me too. That, that scene's good. Me too. That's a good. Mm-hmm. Scene. <laughs> that scene stays. Uh, but forever, I always thought like not to get off Solaris, but forever, I always thought I wanted that first open that opening stuff in aliens but then i've realized no actually i don't it's neat to see after you know the fabled um you know hearing about it for so many years and then finally getting to see it was is cool but i'll take my theatrical cut of it but yeah uh solaris yeah i just not one i'm sure many people listening are gonna go check out (laughs) right away i i like it too and i mean i would i would put my endorsement on it but it is and it I don't mean to like to be counterintuitive with that. It is every minute of three hours. No, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's not like an end game that you. Just, you it feels like it was, you know, thirty minutes or something. It just like whips along for that three hours, or you know, it yeah. it feels it's it's a long movie. I it, it really could have cut the opening uh, prologue ish thing that runs for about thirty minutes, where the people mm-hmm. go to the house and then we sit through that weird traffic sequence. Get to space faster. That's the yeah. Part of the story is that's what that's what uh, Cameron and Soderbergh says. Like, let's get to space faster, guys. Yes. 
This is the two weeks in a row Solaris has come up with this podcast, by the way. Well, I, I, I shut my mouth. Remember I said, oh, I will talk. So I, I was like, yeah. I better pick. I better make it my last pick here yeah. because I did mention last week that I was going to talk about it. Sure. Well, <laughs> I, I have two movies. <laughs> but... well, let's, let's do them both. All right. Uh, first is Spider-Man 2. It is when Dr. Octopus wakes up in the uh, operating room or what have you. Or not him wakes up, but his arms wake up, and it's a very Sam Raimi horror sequence where the various tentacles fly around and kill all the various doctors in the room after they threaten to cut them off from him. Uh, this is pure Evil Dead filmmaking right here. Yep. Uh, I yep. This sequence is fantastic for all kinds of reasons. It's scary and thrilling, but also quite entertaining and fun. Um, you have a, you you have the tentacles flying all over the place, taking everyone out. There's there's cameras on each one of them, so you can see the perspective of the tentacle going after people. You have shots of Asidus being dragged into the shadows with his nails going onto the floor. You have a guy picking up a chainsaw, which is so perfect, only to get like attacked by all the tentacles at once. Uh, it's yeah, it's watch Spider-Man Two to me is just a perfect movie. And so like watching Raimi going like having both all the pathos for Peter Parker, like doing everything he can to make an emotional journey for his character, but also like reveling in the fact that he gets to like use a big budget to make a giant evil dead, like tribute sequence for Dr. Octopus. That's great. That's just great stuff. There is no filmmaking on display in any other Spider-Man movie as good as that. Like since I, I mean, I like Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, but man, I, they could use like Marvel could use more Raimi punch just to like just i go back thinking about that i'm like man we don't get stuff like that but although i will say the mysterio there's a mysterio sequence in far from home that yeah harkens back to that stuff which i'm like ooh, more of that please yeah yeah that that scene rocks but uh, yeah yeah. i watched when i saw homecoming i remember that i went home and watched spider-man 2 because i hadn't watched it in a while and my thought was, my God, this movie's better than all of the MCU. Like, there's so much like <laughs> personality in every sequence of this movie that just you don't get from most of these most of these movies. Now, I don't dislike it. I mean, we've talked about them plenty. I like the MCU yeah. films, but it's like it's night and day when you look at what Raimi's doing and how it feels like it has something there compared to some of the product that you get from some of these more you know recent films. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other film. Um, speaking of MCU, it uh, features um, Iron Man, Hulk, and many others. It's Zodiac. Um, oh, yes. There are, obviously, you have the various... Mysterio's in there, yeah. Yeah, Mysterio's in it. What am I talking about? Um, and, um... <laughs> what's his name? Striker. Uh, Brian Cox. Striker. From <laughs> yeah, Mysterio. oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Casey yeah. Jones, Elias Codius, is in there. <laughs> and, um... Is Judy Greer in that, too? Mind uh, no, you got a Chloe Sevigny. Um, mm-hmm. No Judy Greer. Uh, for some reason, I was thinking she was. I mean, sorry. Like everybody's like Brandon and I are in that movie, so like everybody's in there. So, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, that, that, that's one of the few people they left out. Um, but yeah, Zodiac. I mean, obviously there are the number of murder sequences involving the Zodiac killer, but that's not even one of the ones I'm referring to. Although those scary, those movie, those bleh, those sequences are scary. The, the matter of factness of at least one of the deaths or one of the stabbings that we see take place. The uh, there's a scene in the car. Um, where, where quote unquote, the Zodiac killer threatens to throw a baby out the out the car if a woman speaks. Like, there's that's that stuff scary. But the scariest sequence of that movie to me is when um, Jake Gyllenhaal's character uh, as uh, Robert Graysmith, he walks down to Charles Fleischer's basement. Oh yeah, and like he and like because he 
the second that happens, he realizes at the same time the audience realizes, like, wait a minute, this is a dangerous scenario. I'm not sure how safe I am here. And this creepy guy is telling me something, and I'm not sure what to believe right now. It's, I mean, it's not like we need to question David Fincher's abilities to create, you know, tense and horrific scenarios. But he does it with aces in a sequence that doesn't even involve any violence whatsoever. It is just incredibly tense, incredibly scary, just to think about, like, is something bad going to happen right now? And this is a character that's based off a real person that's still alive. (laughs) So it's Mm -hmm. like, we know nothing bad's going to happen, but this is just a scary sequence right now. Uh, So, yeah, I I mean, Zodiac is, I mean, speaking of 2007 movies with No Country for Old Men, Zodiac's one of the great films of the the past 20 years. And... um, yeah, it has it has some stuff in it, but yeah, that scene in particular always sticks out to me as one that just feels like a, you know, a real real horror getting at me. Yeah, no, I remember there was a very audible reaction when he went in the basement in that movie. Uh, <laughs> my theater, I was at the ArcLight in the Cinerama Dome, and just oh, you could just hear everybody losing like losing their minds, like get out of that damn basement. Like first they're like, oh my god, it's Roger Rabbit, but then they like really settle yes. down. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, that's. That's a good and yeah, Zodiac. Yeah, it. I I wouldn't classify it as a horror movie, but man, it's got a lot, like the scene. Uh, there's a lot of it. Uh, it reminds me of the town that dreaded sundown. Uh, the original yeah, one. Yeah. Uh, like when the couple's out uh, by that river and he mm-hmm. stops at gunpoint and broad daylight horror. Like that's right out of town that dreaded sundown. Uh, and he just like he like, just stabs that. Like it's so like. It just happens. It's so cl- it's mm-hmm. again, clinical, clinical again. Like it's just it just it take you see it take place. It's not like there's buildup, but it's not like handled in a way that's particularly stylish. It's just like walks up and starts stabbing the guys, the, the, yeah. the woman and the man, and it's just it's sad and terrifying at the same time. Well, and also to put like a, a movie that is on my remaining on my list that was inspired ish by it and appears in that film is Dirty Harry. Also oh, yeah. has those kind of horror elements with uh, Scorpio. That way he goes by. Um, just like the when he chases him on the football field and through that uh, that kind of stuff and everything that has to do um, with that character is horrific. And then that movie appears in Zodiac as well, like just a nice little kind of handshake-ish thing. Um, Isn't it wild that there was a movie made during the run of a serial killer that's referencing the serial killer? No, I think we're always like that. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, in terms Maybe of like current, at that time, yeah, in terms of like know. current events, but I mean, that's a pretty specific <laughs> thing as far as there's a killer on the loose somewhere, but Clint Eastwood made a movie about it, like while it's still like an active thing. I mean, how close was Psycho to Ed Gein getting caught? Uh, Gein was in the. 30s, I think. Okay, then, so it was, they had written the book, you know, like it was based off the novel and all. Like, right. I, I know what you're saying. It's Block like, was right in the 50s, yeah. Like, but at large killer, it, yeah. It makes sense to me for like I don't know, like war. Like we've had plenty of war movies that take place like during or near the war, or what have you, or movies that deal with like social events. Uh, but something like an active serial killer being on the loose, and they're like, well, yeah, Clint Eastwood made a fun movie about it. Like, you know, why not? <laughs> That's, yeah, giving like, him ideas like, hey, yeah, children yeah. on the bus. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's. Um, I know I still have plenty more I want to mention. I'll run through them quickly. But let's. How about you guys? What other? Whether uh, I've got a couple. Uh, the claymation adventures of Mark Twain film. Um, if you've never seen this, that's cool. But this has a world champion what the hell sequence. Uh, partway through, which um. 
it's a claymation fantasy adventure where um you know tom sawyer huck finn and becky thatcher still aboard this airship like this steampunk airship that mark twain is going to use to catch Haley's comet because if you know the story he was born when Haley's comet was around and he was he always figured he'd die when the comet came back and so the story kind of plays off that and it's kind of this whimsical adventure for the most part except for the part where they meet the devil uh part way through it uh, <laughs> which is which is a play off of Mark Twain's Mysterious Stranger, but it's this five-minute sequence, which, you know, it's still, again, in claymation, but it is about the futility of existence (laughs) in the middle of this kid's movie. And it it is fantastic. It is weird. It is unsettling. And it is great. And, um, you know, as they're talking, the devil, who is, is a mask with no head behind it over his body, um, kind of like the DC Comics character Johnny Sorrow, but he's explaining man's inhumanity to man to the kids, and he's got these little clay people, and then you know they're they're existing and doing the normal stuff, and then they go to war, and then they're killing each other, and the whole time the devil's giving this monologue about you know, and then in the end you're nothing more than a thought, and then he disappears, and then they go on with the rest of the adventure, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's fantastic. Um, my other two that I had down was um, uh, Requiem for a Dream, yep. which has oh, yeah. multiple nightmare sequences, which uh, we just won't get into. And then I had a, a note for Lynch, which I already kind of referenced because, you know, Lynch, all of Lynch's films do this. But um, a couple of uh, bits in particular. Um, number one, Robert Blake's scene in Lost Highway. Yeah. Um, mm. Where he talks to Bill Pullman and. You know, he's like, you know, we've met before. It's like, I'm at your house right now. Then he calls his house and Blake is standing in front of him. And then Blake is also talking to him on the phone. It's champion. And then, um, of course, the alley scene in all and Drive. I don't need to explain that any further. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, that's that's those are my uh, other ones that I had for sure. So. Cool. Brandon, how about you? All right, I'll run through these quick. Uh, I've got like Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, primarily oh. uh, when Chekhov, uh, the beginning of the movie, finds, stumbles upon Khan and his people, and they put the little worm thing in his ear. He puts things in my ears. So gross, so creepy, looks so real, and I thought they were killing off Chekhov. Um, but yeah, that, oh, just the, it's a body horror thing with that. Yeah. It's really effective. And just super gross. Uh, let's see. I have Close Encounters of the Third Kind has many mm-hmm. sequences, uh, like the, uh, the stopped in traffic one with uh, the truck when they first come with uh, Richard Dreyfus uh, by himself. I think the mountain thing is just creepy in its own right. When they kidnap the kid, that's what I think of. Yeah. 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 Damn, you just made me think of another one. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I have, um, let's see, my other two Scorsese um, films I had on here were Last Temptation of Christ, uh, oh. specifically, uh, where, you know, the, the darkness when the devil tempts him out in the middle of the desert. Really creepy stuff. Um, this is where a lot of that movie has a lot of discomfort to it as well. Uh, it has beyond, a lot of mystical beyond, drama, that's for sure. Yeah. Beyond, beyond <laughs> like, any sort of, like, religious <laughs> discomfort people would have, just, I'm like, just as a general movie, uh, I think there's some just... Uh, really period level honesty um, that just seeing it in front of your eyes just feels like, Oh my gosh. Uh, then I also had taxi driver, of course has, you know, plenty of horror elements, especially, you know, the final 
sequence of the film. Plus, Scorsese's New York and New York at that time is just its own creepy thing on film, no matter how hard they try. Punisher Warzone, the opening sequence is like <laughs> almost some of the best Jason kills uh, in a in a movie done well, super gory. Um, I went kids, uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, the Beast Castle, and the way they present some of the creepiness to it before it becomes this lively musical with them. And so, last, so, the an, so the Disney animated one. The animated one, yeah. yeah. You can make an argument for the Cocteau version. Yeah, I mean, Cocteau <laughs> one. <laughs> Cocteau one's got plenty of horror to it, yeah. too. It's got hands uh, on the walls. Hands. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's a brilliant man. Uh, or, or, or I could have said Orfe. That's got a bunch of creepy stuff in it. And uh, easy one, but got to mention it because we haven't. Um, and I had it just in case like I ran out of stuff. Temple of Doom. Yeah, yeah I thought uh, that. Yeah. I've had Ant Raiders of the Lost Ark, for that matter, with faces yes. melting. But yeah, Temple's, yeah, has, Temple's like, a haunted house movie. Um, it's a creature, like, creepy crawler movie. It's that it, the stuff with the kids and the mind and the heart coming out. Who wasn't scared as hell of that if you were a child? Just, oh, yeah. Yeah, you ripped a guy's heart out. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's not fun. <laughs> Put his hand right in there. Yeah. When Brandon spoke about Close Encounters, he made me think of one real quick. I want to say it before I forget. Um, this actually came up on the last time I was on Cult Cinema Cavalcade. Uh, Fire in the Sky. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is just like, man, got abducted by aliens. But you don't know what you're getting <laughs> when you sit down to watch that. But Close Encounters made me think of it. Just didn't want to forget. I return you to your Temple of Doom. Excellent. But, yeah, those, those are my, my down the list. Okay, cool. I have several, so I'll just try to run through them pretty quickly. Um, there's a sequence in the Grand Budapest Hotel, which is otherwise a comedy, obviously, that's ripped right out of Torn Cur- Hitchcock's Torn Curtain, um, mm. where Jeff Goldblum's being stalked by Willem Dafoe's character, and it's played like a really creepy scene. Like it's like you're in a Wes Anderson world, so it's only going to be so scary, but you still have a very menacing Willem Dafoe going after Jeff Goldblum, which results in him like capturing him and like and closing a door on his fingers and chopping his fingers off. Oh yeah. Like it's a good, it's a good little creepy sequence for a movie uh-huh. like that. Far earlier. Kiss me deadly was one that was in my mind. Um, there's a, the, the main plot of that film revolves around a mysterious box. And I remember watching that film for the first time and they kind of opened the box and it emits like this. It's, it's, I mean, Pulp Fiction references is heavily too. There's a, yeah. gold, there's like a light that shines out of it, and you get this like harsh noise. And I remember watching it for the first time. I was like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> like, it just like out of nowhere, <laughs> like entered into a new realm for me as far as what this movie was doing. The Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Rings, that whole sequence where the, the, um, the Nazgul, where the, not the Nazgul, what rides the Nazgul, whatever the, um, no, there's the there's the Nazgul. They call them ring wraiths at ring first. Ring or Nazgul, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you know the one like peers over that log, that really cool shot that where the hobbits oh, are yeah. hiding under the ground. Like that's a that's a good bit of like Peter Jackson horror right there. Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mentioned already with the faces melting. Um, the conversation and Vertigo. Mm. They both have nightmare sequences in them that I do think yeah. are, can be quite scary. There's a scene in the first Raid film um, where that movie. I mean, as much as it's an action movie. It plays like a horror film as far as cops being stuck in this building and people are trying to kill them. That's pretty. That can be pretty scary. And there's a whole sequence where Iko Uwais' character, along, he's holding one of the other characters, and they're behind a wall, and one of the villains is stabbing through the wall with a machete. I'm doing this with my hands as I'm saying it. Yeah. Um, and it's incredibly tense and thrilling because 
that machete, you know, could easily connect with one of them, which it actually does. Um, and like, they still have to deal with that. Um, uh, it reminds me, uh, Battle Royale, the oh, kid, yeah, the Royale. weird kid that ends up having the blood coming from his eyes. Mm-hmm. He's like a horror movie creation on his own. Well, the, like the first scene of that movie with the little girl that's the winner pronounced like in the look on. Her oh face. yeah, oh yeah. Or the one that plays. Um, no, it's not her. It's a different one that plays the villainous in um in Kill Bill Volume One. But that's who Tarantino originally wanted one of the characters from Battle Royale. <laughs> but it's one that has like this really creepy smile when she tries to like <laughs> interact anyway, oh yeah yeah. yeah 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 um let's see the godfather the horse head sequence that's a master class intention right there and just like scare of like especially if you're seeing it for the first time when the that the guy wakes up and the producer wakes up in bed with the horse head in the bed like mm-hmm. that's a really scary scene <laughs> like and it's yeah it's played like a horror sequence with the mute with the use of music and everything back to tarantino kill bill volume two um when the bride is buried alive yeah. I didn't know where that was going. Yeah. <laughs> like that, and that's terrifying to me, being buried alive. Let's see. Uh, for comedy, Monty Python and the Holy Grail with the White Rabbit. Um, uh, I mean... Yes. Yeah. That rabbit's dynamite. I mean, it, it's biting heads off of people. It's, it's, it's a scary scene if you think of it that way. Um, <laughs> that, the first time I saw Holy Grail, um, my, my biggest genuine laugh of the movie, and this is after I've been laughing the entire way through, uh-huh. is when the rabbit jumps up and bites the knight's head off. And yes. Arthur goes, Jesus Christ! <laughs> that killed me. I yeah, just, the, the, I, the, Jesus Christ! Uh-huh. I could not stop laughing. I mean, I was <laughs> just dumbfounded at how funny that was. But... Let's see, a couple more. Uh, Michael Clayton, when uh, Tom Wilkinson is assassinated in that movie and the mayor oh, handles yeah. it, that sequence is another terrifying because of how like how how clean it is, how it's brutal, but also like it's done in a manner where it all like adds up as to how it's happening and there's nothing to stop it, but it's just sad to watch and scary given how real it all looks. Um, yeah, that's a great one. Um, Hot Fuzz has, I mean. Shaun of the Dead may have been Edgar Wright's horror movie, but Hot Fuzz really traffics in a lot of horror imagery as well, with a you know cloaked killer running around. But the whole mm-hmm. scene with the church, um, where like the the fair is like uh, what Simon Pegg's reading off like the winners of a raffle. Meanwhile, the news guy is standing at the bottom of the church, and like the editing's going back and forth. It's cutting back and forth, and the guy the, and the cloaked figure pushes the thing down, and it blows the guy's head up essentially. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's. That's right out of a gory horror movie right there. It's like practically a genre, like a, 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 an Argento film as far as like just seeing how things take place. <laughs> Let's see. And uh, Take Shelter uh, with oh. Michael Shannon. Um, the dreams that he has are incredibly intense and it, yeah. uh, it builds and builds to some scenes. That that movie, that that leans on a horror. That's why I didn't want to include it on my main list too. But like it, it has some stuff. I mean, it has some stuff in there that... Uh, can get to you oh that final scene is incredible oh yeah yeah i i'm a huge take shelter fan. <laughs> like i think it's it's fantastic i need more jeff nichols movies in my life that's what i had um any other thoughts on this topic as we've kind of gone through a lot of no this is a good here? topic I, I really like this i think we covered a lot of ground and a lot of a lot of different kinds of movies yeah it, it's i mean and this was it kind of for me uh, surface scratching kind of thing. I'm sure if I really got into it, I could. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. there's um so much ground that you could interpret this, and like you said before, it depends a little bit on how you count the movies too. 
um, because you can always find one scene that maybe mines this, no matter what the genre is, crime, etc. It's just there's always stuff there. For sure, which is what I like to do with these horror specials where we talk with, like, you know, we're talking about horror movies, and here we're talking about non-horror movies that have horror in them. Like, there's so much... There's so much respectability the genre should have that it seems to it seems to not, and it's a shame because there's so many things you can highlight that just work as effective cinema, uh, regardless of if it's making you cry or laugh. It's also something to make you like scared or worried about things, and that's. You, I mean, you could you could essentially call like Guillermo del Toro movies this, but they're like fully informed by horror fairy tale films of you know, it's it's interesting because. Or do you just call his like? Would you call Pan's Labyrinth a straight horror movie? Probably not. But it's full. It, all it is is informed by horror, but it's primarily a, a, a kind of more of like an adult fairy tale. I would say he's yeah, just I mean, really good at the details. For sure, it's a director that's certainly informed by the things he you know admires most, which are mm-hmm. main, well, largely horror films. Um, and you can say the same for a lot of directors. I mean, we talked about Peter Jackson already. Peter Jackson's a guy that started in horror, <laughs> um, right? And, and is, you know, brought that out here and there with other movies beyond his, his early his earlier horror films. Um, <clears throat> and I mean, a lot of the, like the old school. I mean, you look at like Spielberg's filmography early on. I mean, it's more thrillers and stuff before he gets into the yeah, Duel and Jaws. Those are horror. Jaws and, I mean, you talk about Close Encounters. Close Encounters, yeah. Horror elements in there, and then he has his. Well, while he's not directing, he has his Amblin stuff where you have Poltergeist right. and Gremlins, which are all you know, yeah. horror hybrids. But yeah, certainly a lot of ground that we could cover here. I'd like to think that we got in a number of you know good picks that showed a lot of variety in this topic for sure. Um, with all that said, yeah, <laughs> that's gonna do it for this week. Um, that's that's that, that's it. We uh, I'm trying not to reveal all the things that we're doing, but we ha- I, I know we have some fun plans in mind for. Uh, for next week's show that should be interesting as well but until then uh let's go over uh, let's let's wrap things up here when can where can people find more of your guys's work online brandon peters where can people find more of you you can find me at cult cinema cavalcade which is cult cinema cavalcade.com i'm on twitter at bt peters our next episode will be uh it's a 1975 werewolf film called legend of the werewolf with peter cushing and no it's not hammer and no it's not um <clears throat> amicus either um yeah. with uh russell mcgee from big finish productions and uh yeah you can also find my written stuff at wisewoodblue.com troy Bounfield, where can people find more of you um on the journalism side i write for the saturday evening post which is the saturday evening Post, or just saturday evening post.com both will get you there and um in terms of my comic stuff and so forth i would recommend you uh uh finding me on twitter and facebook so at troy brownfield and then at facebook particularly uh, Facebook.com slash SparkshooterComic would be the best place to go. You can find more of me at my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. You can find all the other episodes of this podcast on iTunes, Audioboom, Stitcher, and Spotify, everywhere you can find podcasts, basically. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. They're all various forms of out now podcast or out now underscore podcast. Um, thank you, Brandon and Troy. Thank you both for joining me this evening to talk about this uh, this fun topic. Always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, until the next tour episode, that's gonna do it for this one. So until then, so long and goodbye. Thrown like a star in my vicinity, I opened my eyes to take a peek to find that I was by the sea, gazing with tranquility. Just then, when the hurdy-gurdy man came singing songs of love.